Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. On this week's episode of the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, we are featuring poems submitted to Viewless Wings and read by the authors. We love providing a platform for poets to share their words on viewlesswings.com and their voices on the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. Visit viewlesswings.com to learn more about how to submit your poem for a future episode or find Viewless Wings on submittable.com. And now we turn the mic over to our first featured poet. Hello, my name is Rebecca Bartlett. I am a writer, editor, and photographer. I live near and work in Boston and have a master's degree in English from the University of Massachusetts. The poem I am going to read for you, The Execution of Maximilian, is in two parts. The first concerns the historical Maximilian, who was installed as the puppet emperor of Mexico in 1864 by the French. His brief reign proved to be disastrous, and when the French withdrew their troops three years later, Maximilian refused to abdicate and was executed by Republican forces led by General Benito Juarez. The second part of the poem is about the paintings of this event made by the French Impressionist artist Edward Manet, who was so captivated that he painted it three times between 1867 and 1869. The Execution of Maximilian They caught him at Queretaro. Juarez was fair, there must be a trial, although there could be but one sentence. A deluge of cables rained down from Europe. They took him to the Hill of Bells. Juarez was fair, he would die with honor, together with his generals, Miramon and Meija. It was June 19, 1867. They stood him against a broken wall. Juarez was fair, they would die together. But he would not take the place of honor. It belongs to a better soldier, he said. Their long rifles nearly touched his chest. Juarez was fair, they let him speak. Let my blood bring an end to Mexico's sorrows. Then the soldiers fired. He died first. Manet did not paint it the way it happened. The emperor stands as Christ between thieves. Their faces are dark, perhaps hooded, while his is pale. They are bareheaded. He is crowned with a sombrero. The soldiers crowd together, intent over their guns. As these spurt fire, the billowing smoke obscures his face. A motley crowd watches, an NCO waits, to deliver the coup de grace. Manet did not finish the first version. The second he cut into a puzzle. The salon banned the third and final, anathema in an age of kings. When he died, it still hung above the doorway of his studio. I'm Ron Pavoldi, writing under R.A. Pavoldi. 
I am a self-trained poet writing over 50 years. I've been fortunate to have poems published in places that include the Hudson Review, North American Review, Italian Americana, Field, Cold Mountain Review, Crab Orchard Review, Ars Medica, Tar River Poetry, Margie, the American Journal of Poetry, and many others. I credit the concise lyrical Near Naples, Italian American dialect, and School of Hard Knocks for my voice. Regarding the poem, through a series of fortunate events and persistence, I planned and had a house built on a difficult ocean front lot my wife and I purchased two years earlier on the coast of Down East Maine. On the other side of the peninsula, there is a community of old money, much like the grand camps of upstate New York's Adirondack Mountains. After marital conflicts with my then wife, Terry, a wonderful woman and more sophisticated person, the contrast of the other side of the peninsula with my pig-headedness and knock-around background presented an inescapable truth and irony, thus the poem, Old Money. Don't worry, dollface. What I got's better than money. Redeemable for time. At any blue-collar, near-death location. Stashed in closets. Attic in boxes. I got cat's-eye marbles chipped on 10th Avenue. Tweet's old pinochle deck. A tied sack of jacks. Baseball cards like Pepitone, Lasorda, and DiMaggio. I got an olive jar full of the Atlantic from a girl I'd never see again. Seashells, beach glass, and pictures, shark's teeth, snake eyes, Indian head nickels. I got 78s and 45s like Louis Prima, Harry James, Jimmy Roselli, and Jerry Vale. I got a Victrola, a Model A crank, shift knob, and piston, and all the old recipes right in my head. Taral, Zapel, and a Beats again. I got Cugini and Kumbads, Johnny, Paulie, Tundi, and Nooch and old billheads, Bavoldi plumbing and heating, and Albanese fuel, campaign pins, Patsy Albanese for town council, and I like Ike. I got Tommaso's sausage grinder, Antony's St. Christopher medal, Ramos pipe wrenches and Ruger, Antoinette's Saturday shot glass, and Madalita's Sunday size bowl. I got clippings and obituaries, accusations, racketeers, and revenuers, Antonio and Dinocenzo, their immigration papers scratched with an X. I got the old man's campaign ribbons, every color of the South Pacific, my mother's yearbook and tassel, and you on our wedding day, baby, twirling like a pedal in a smokestack. Don't worry you married down, toots. I know a thing or two about a thing or two. I still got a couple tree aces up my sleeve. When that last day comes high rolling, puddin', I'm ready to deal. I got 500 clams, baby. I got a bucket of smackaroos. Hello, I'm Rose Oliver. I'm a retired registered nurse. I live and write in Western Massachusetts. Uh, as a child, I also wrote, and most of what I wrote was uh, lies. <laughs> and I was convinced that I would grow up to be a fiction writer but I really loved uh, and was fascinated by words. And I also um, loved the way that poetry could extract a major emotional impact by using uh, very few words. Uh, I participate in uh, local spoken word poetry readings, uh, sometimes story and poetry slams. 
Uh, I have published in a number of online and print journals, and currently I am enjoying facilitating a memoir writing workshop for senior citizens, and I'm hoping to utilize that project to hopefully write my own. The poem The Magician originated as an exercise in a prose poem workshop. Um, my childhood had so many empty places, uh, so much a sense of grief and loss. And I have spent, like many of us, uh, my whole life trying to understand death and dying. As a nurse, I worked uh, with people with HIV and AIDS. I also worked as a hospice nurse. And so I was confronted on pretty much a daily basis with death and dying. Uh, during COVID, the recollection of all those losses, uh, this was my second pandemic, uh, and also of the childhood losses became uh, very much in my consciousness again. And I also recalled how inadequate religion was to offer us much in the way of solace. Uh, I remembered that scary nighttime prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, and the magician was the result of that. The magician. Now I lay me down to sleep. Every night I send God my entreaty, kneeling before my bunk bed, my sister Millie in the upper berth, already snoring, oblivious to the fact she could die before she wakes. I am six years old, a young insomniac. My prayer flies to heaven on the wings of the barn owls outside my window, their voices eerie in the dark. I am afraid to close my eyes. My thoughts circle, nocturnal vultures. In the downstairs living room bookcase is the photo album of my mother's family, sepia-toned people, Alice, my mom's mother, in a big feather-plumed hat, the grandma I never knew, Mildred, mom's only sister, dead three weeks after my grandmother, John, Edward, James, my uncles smiling on ice skates, dead in their 20s, all gone. A family of ghosts, the gone are ever present. Sad mama, only one left, everyone fallen to the plague of her day, tuberculosis. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, the dead, larger than life, I think of the Sunday school Jesus, who loves all the children of the world. Then there is Father God, who sentences his only son to death. I can make no sense of the divine. I am still awake. I worry about my baby sister, who died before she even had a name. I remember placing my stubby finger on her warm, bald head. Then she was gone. Mom said she is with God. I wonder where that is. I put my baby doll in the bassinet where she would have slept. I see her on the ceiling at night. I call out to her, but just like when I call out to God, there is no answer. If I should die, the prayer puzzles and frightens me. How can I not be here? There are so many vacant places, empty spaces. My world is populated by ethereal beings. All the derailed lives full of detoured, dead-ended possibilities. My mom in perpetual grief, her personal holocaust. Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Greedy God, always taking those we love. I imagine God as a magician, waving his magic wand, making people disappear. He is an amateur, inept, all of his abracadabra 
and our desperate whispered amens. Never bring the vanished home again. Roseanne Ehrlich. As a writer-producer for the entertainment industry and a victim of extreme seasickness, I've written teleplays for the Great Ship series on the History Channel. When I escaped from the entertainment industry, I taught English as a second language, and recently my poetry and creative nonfiction has been published in Persimmon Tree, Vine Leaves Press, and Chicken Soup for the Soul, among others. Currently, as a grandmother, I am trying to win at least one board game I play with my nine-year-old granddaughter. The statement about three ways of looking at a druid is that I've always found different points of view on the same subject fascinating for what they say about each viewer. Three ways of looking at a druid. The druid scholar. Their history is long-lived but doubted. Their secrets were a threat to facts. And all along, the truth was shrouded. They danced in forests and dark caves, were scorned in Greco-Roman times, yet to them northern peoples prayed. Some found courage in their dance. For some, the message brought relief as it opened up a great expanse. It was the soul's eternal portal, which allowed life a life to end while the soul remained immortal. The, the Druid Devotee. My long love draws me deep down transparent paths worn smooth by infinite entries into our medieval forest. And I, diaphanous, go all air and shimmer to slip between great gnarled oaks displaying growths from old invasions until I'm stopped at the edge of dark before the waiting clearing that is green with god hair growing in the pulsing loam. Here the druid dances, half frantic and pauses half civil, to give welcome to me his beloved indulgence, my long-ago love. Former druid. Dance? Time's been tough. There's YouTube and all that stuff, so not too many druids join us. There are a few, maybe one or two, who come from other places. Non-believers lightened up the edge of dark, killing trees to bring the sun in. Benches were taken from the park to seat those wondering. And now we put on a show to let the people know that long ago we danced. Hello, my name is Simon Constem. I'm a Canadian poet and aphorist living in Toronto. My first book of poetry, Brought Down, was published in January of this year by Wiffenstock Publishers. I have published poetry in a number of magazines, among them the Jewish Literary Journal and Poetica magazine, where the poem I'll read today, Yerushalmi, was first published. Since late 2018, I have been publishing under the moniker Daily Ferocity, an original aphorism every day on Instagram, and for an email subscriber base. You can see more of me at simonconstem.com. Yerushalmi sprung from a moment in 1969 when I was in Israel on a bus and was taken by an older man sitting a few seats away from me, though I did not speak to him. As often happens, a possible history of the man immediately rose before me, 
and I assumed that he, like all Jews, had experienced our turbulent past. Many years after that moment on the bus, I began writing the poem. The title word Yerushalmi is what one calls in Hebrew a person who lives in Jerusalem. Yerushalmi. Today I seem to have the face of a man I briefly stared at on a bus on Rechov King David in the fall of 1969. I wear the same clothes, dark jacket, dark shirt, rough tan trousers, dust-scuffed brown boots. The mirror shows me grizzled, unkempt, stocky, stoic, almost 70. My face is the face my grandfather wore. My parents, aunts, and uncles swore the resemblance is uncanny. My history is clear. I was one of Titus's captives, marched through Rome in chains. I collected all my things in a sack to flee from Ferdinand and Isabella along the Jew-choked roads. I missed my fate in Kilsa and Bialystok. I hid in the forests by Kishinev. I was a soldier in Babel's army, caught in the gaze of my Cossack captor. Once I was dazzled by Japotinsky. I walked for days to hear him dream. I trusted history, and then I spent the war in and somehow outlasted Bergen-Belsen. I fled to all the countries of the world. My children are scattered to the far corners of the earth. And now my son has come to visit me. He worries that I stay here. He thinks I ought to live close to him, but that is impossible. I am the inheritor of a furious history that only in this place can I never forget or deny. Hello, everyone. My name is Mon Malanowicz Gallagher, and I use they them pronouns. I am a Polish-born non-binary queer immigrant living in the UK, and these days sharing my time between London and the northwest of England. My poems have been published in a variety of chapbooks, anthologies, magazines and online, including in Beyond Words, Allegory Ridge, in Clet and Powder Press. Outside of writing, I am a parent to a young human, two cats and a reactive rescue dog from Bosnia, and spent a fair chunk of my life delivering online mental health support sessions for LGBTQI plus people, or volunteering across a number of activist groups and community-oriented charities. The poem that I will be sharing with you today is entitled Deliver Me, and put quite simply, it is a spin on the experience of receiving Holy Communion, but seen through the prism of love and desire. As someone who grew up indoctrinated into the Catholic faith in a country that was, and still is, deeply queerphobic, I had for a long time found it very hard to reconcile how I experienced both those aspects of life with how I was bullied by my local community into feeling shame and disgust for giving and receiving love the way I did. This poem is a voice or a prayer of my much younger self, yearning to be set free from guilt and hoping for the blessing of fulfilled love that doesn't have to be afraid to show itself truly. Deliver me. When it happens, I don't care much how, but make it be outside, to the sound of lacrimosa, a bird song, a cat purr, lover's whisper in my ear, blinded by the morning sun, melting in the gentle breeze, peaceful. Untongue me then, 
untender, where no hand can reach my curtain lifts, the softest guillotine, reveals a centre, soggy sweet, underneath your petticoat of chaos. When it happens, let me plead not guilty of the many sins, vices engraved on fingertips, memory of my flesh, and let me be forgiven in the open. I'll take your sacrament anywhere you give it. In greedy mouth reverence, I'll fall before you to my knees. Hi, I'm Marie, and my particulars are as follows. I am a Southerner by birth and an Angelino, as in Los Angeles, by choice. My work has appeared in the Los Angeles Review of Books, the Atlanta Review, Talking Writing, The Quotable, Aesthetica, the California Poetry Society, the Iron Horse Literary Review, and The Writer, among others. I was a winner of the Art Lines 2 Ekphrastic Poetry Contest, which was judged by Robert Pinsky. My writing's also been published in numerous art catalogs and my collaboration with the Paris-based visual artist Daniela Berchon was featured in the online magazine 7 by 7. I actually have an MFA in creative writing from Bennington College <laughs> and most recently I was a finalist for the Lascaux Poetry Prize. Um, with regard to Once There Was, my dad was almost 90 the last time we visited Mobile, Alabama, which is his hometown and my birthplace. And everywhere we went, whatever we looked at, he told me a story. And it, it really felt as if he kept handing me pictures of what he remembered, no matter what we saw. And this poem is really about that experience, and it's about my dad. Once there was. Delchamps is no more, vacuumed off the city map by the mile-wide aisles of Merchant's Bank, the one that ate Regent's Bank after Katrina swept down Government Boulevard and tore the arms off the big oaks, twisted the Spanish moss into knotty pigtails. Ragamuffin gutters now. No more the tree-lined boulevard. No more azaleas. No short sleeves and sweet pies over to the Malbus Bakery with marble countertops sticky as wet tar. There were ship shapers and airfields, boiler makers and barracks. Mardi Gras named itself here. Moon pies flew from off the front porch. Gray and gold cadets stepped stylish, danced cattywampus and backwards before prancing straight ahead, passing side yards pocked with baby blanket blue hydrangeas <laughs> plump with sun. No accidental gardens here. Work skirts belled, then belted. Oysters arrived by the barrel. You could listen to the song sung at a Sunday dinner across the causeway. 
once. The Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.com.